Blog Talk Radio. Psalm 82, a psalm of Asaph. God standeth in the congregation of the mighty. He judgeth among the gods. How long will ye judge unjustly and accept the persons of the wicked? Selah. Defend the poor and fatherless. Do justice to the afflicted and needy. Deliver the poor and needy. Rid them out of the hand of the wicked. They know not, neither will they understand. They walk on in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are out of course. I have said, Ye are gods, and all of you are children of the Most High. But ye shall die like men, and fall like one of the princes. Arise, O God, judge the earth, for thou shalt inherit all nations. Well, hello everyone, this is uh, Kennard speaking. I'm your host for the Merciful Servants of God, a biblical instructional program for those who want to be taught. If you think you know everything and all you need to know about life, then this isn't a program for you. Uh, But uh, if you are willing to be, as Christ stated in Matthew chapter 18, Let's turn to Matthew chapter 18 and learn something. Matthew chapter 18, beginning in verse 1, says, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Everyone wants to be the greatest of this and the greatest of that. Uh, I want to be the best and all that, right? Well, in verse 2, he states, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn or repent and become like children, uh, children are supposed to be humble, they're supposed to be uh, submissive to their parents, Uh, they are in a state or supposed to be in a state of obedience and willing to listen and learn. Unfortunately, the majority of mankind aren't in that state. They don't want to be taught. They think they know everything. Uh, most adults, or they call themselves adults, uh, when they, uh, you know, get big and, you know, I, I got a job and, and things are going okay for me and all that, um, they feel, well, there's nothing more that I need to learn now. You know, I'm an adult. You know, I, I know what I need to know, and I don't need to, to grow. I don't need to, to grow spiritually. I don't need to study the Bible, nor... Do I need to educate myself? I know it all now. I don't need anything else. Well, I think Yeshua or Jesus disagrees with you here. Um, Verse 2, And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly, I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, and children are always learning. When you think of kids, don't you think of them learning in a classroom? Okay? Kids are always learning. They're in school. And Yeshua is saying that we got to be like children in that sense. We have to always be willing to learn and be educated. Once we get to a point where we think we don't know, we don't need to know anything, that's when you are on the road to destruction. Mental destruction, physical destruction, and spiritual destruction. But anyway, truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is serious, folks. 
even if you study the Bible and learn the Bible, and yet you can't get a job, you can't take care of your family, you're having problems financially, and your your excuse is, well, the economy. The economy. Or your excuse is, well, I don't want to pay no money to go to school. Well, there's no sin in getting loans, folks. Study the law. Study Leviticus. Study Deuteronomy. There's no sin in getting loans as long as you pay them back. Now, for those who live in the United States, Most people realize that they have to get some kind of education, some kind of trade to be able to successfully, when I say compete here, I don't mean that that's what we should be doing, competing, but to be able to have a chance to get a job, a decent paying job, you have to have what is called a trade. The Jews understood that. A trade is something that is in demand, a service that is in demand that people need or businesses need and that will pay you money for. That is a father's and to a certain extent a mother's responsibility to teach their children trades. And you have two different types of of labor. You have blue-collar labor, which you work with your hands, which traditionally was done the most throughout history. But you also have this other labor that I don't think people sometimes don't appreciate, uh, the labor of a scholar, someone who reads and writes. This can be uh, interpreted also as someone who knows how to program, design computer programs. Someone created the Internet. When you read a book, how did the book come into existence? Someone wrote it. That's work, folks. You may not think that's work, but that's work to be able to put all that together. That is work. That is considered labor as well. You have some people that are scholars, that are programmers, that are highly technical, and they use their brains, whether that and then their hands, but they more so use their brains. That's work. And then of course, most people identify with regular labor work, and that's work too. We have different people like that throughout the world. But we must be in balance, and you can't be so into work that you forget about God. And then you can't be so into God that you forget about work. You have to be balanced to be able to enter into the kingdom of God, folks. And if you're not balanced, then you won't be entering the kingdom of God. Uh, You may have to go through some purification. Uh, That's something I'm going to talk about next week. I just did a thorough Bible study. Uh, on what happens after death, and I definitely understand now and can prove through the scriptures what happens to you after death. So please attend the next program because uh, what I'm going to be talking about uh, is going to be verifiable through the scriptures, and you'll be able to stop wondering if you still are wondering about what happens to you after you die. Uh, So 
the next program is going to cover two basic doctrines of God, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment, which is very important. You need to know this. You need to know what happens after you die. Don't assume you already know. You may, and I, and I hope you do, but I know a lot of people don't know what happens to you after you die. So I'm going to be realistic about it and explain it in detail. And this this is a program that I have to prepare for uh, extensively, but I will present it next week. So please attend that program. If you have any loved ones, uh, if you're wondering what's going on with them, etc., that this is a good program uh, for you to listen to next week. And if you're wondering yourself about what happens to you after you die, please attend it. But anyway, back to Matthew chapter 18. Or please listen to it next week. Don't be attending because it's virtual. But anyway, <laughs> all right, so back in verse 3, he says, And truly, I say to you, unless you turn or repent and become like children. Again, when you think of children, you think of kids that are laughing and and they're humble, right? They're supposed to be, right? And, and they're willing to be taught. You will never enter the kingdom of heaven. And, and that heaven, that's an idiom to mean God, okay? And the kingdom, as I went over last week, which a lot of people seem to be uh, a good number of people listening to, I suggest you listen to that program, the kingdom of God. What is it? What is the realm? That's what kingdom means, the realm, a rule of God. What is that? And I explain in there that we really aren't under the, the realm of God right now through the scriptures. So I, I, I highly recommend you listen to that program. As I stated, uh, quite a few people are listening to it and downloading it. Anyway, it says, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of God or the rule of God. We have to humble ourselves, folks. The devil, uh, Hasatan, or Satan, is not humble. He is not humble, folks. Let's turn to Ezekiel chapter 28 to understand that he's not humble. Come on, Ezekiel chapter 28. This attitude of the devil is broadcast in the atmosphere. And if we're not careful, if we're not close to God, we're going to start thinking like him and acting like him. That's where evil comes from. It certainly doesn't come from God. It comes from the devil. So Ezekiel chapter 28, starting in verse 10. And I'm going to jump where it says, You were the signet of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So, uh, the light bringer, that's what in the uh, King James Version calls him Lucifer. That means light bringer. He was a light bringer. That's what he was originally. And he was the signet of perfection. Full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. So, he was a perfect being. You were in Adon or Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardis, topaz, diamond, beryl, ox, jasper, sapphire, emerald, cumico, or cumbrico. Crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. On the day that you were created, 
they were prepared. Your word, anointed guardian cherub, I placed you. Now, a cherub is by the throne of God. So he was right there, right there in the presence of God the Father himself. And you sure? In the midst of the stones of fire, in the middle of the stones of fire, you walk. So this is a supernatural being. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created, so he didn't sin when he was created. But this is what happened. Till unrighteousness was found in you. Unrighteousness is not obeying God because or the commandments, because in Psalm 119, verse 172, it states that righteousness is the keeping of the commandments. So the antithesis of that, or the opposite of that, is unrighteousness. Okay? Verse 16, in the abundance of your trade, so obviously... This being was involved in business. He was trading. Okay. You were filled with violence in your midst, and you sinned. So I cast you as profane thing from the mountain of God, as in the idiom, from the throne room of God. And I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Now, this is his problem, and this is the problem of a lot of people today, folks. We have inherited this attitude from this being. Verse 17. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. And that's what we will do when we don't humble ourselves and we think we all this and think we all that like he did and still does today. We're going to corrupt our wisdom, whatever wisdom we have left, and any type of beauty that we have. I cast you to the ground, I expose you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude, so when he sinned once, he did it over and over and over again. By the multitude of your iniquities and the unrighteousness of your trade. Let me look that word up to make sure that it does mean trade. I think it does, but I can't assume. Uh, Some of the words in the King James Version weren't translated correctly, unfortunately. So... We can't assume here. Let me look it up here. 16. Okay, that word is translated uh, merchandise in the King James Version. Yeah, that's it exactly what it means. It says a feminine noun referring to uh, skula. In Hebrew, to merchandise trading, it refers to the material wares traded or to the process of merchandising and trading, which is interesting. It, it tells you that the devil, and see, we, when we think of angels, we just think they just fly up in the air and smile. No, they, they, they do things too. They have a life, a productive life. Heaven is a, another dimension. I know familiar, people may be familiar with the twilight zone, right? Well, there, there's another dimension called heaven that exists. It's another world. Actually, the earth is patterned after this. It's just a type of what heaven truly is. And the spirit world exists in that heaven. But it's not perfect, obviously, because the Bible states in Revelation chapter uh, 12 that there's going to be war in heaven. <laughs> war in heaven, would you believe it? Yeah. So things aren't so perfect up there either. But obviously they're in better control than what things are here on the earth because 
uh, there's all kinds of destruction and, and, and sin here on the earth. But anyway, I hope you understand where I'm coming from here in regards to our attitudes here. We, we, none of us know everything. We have to, to to be as a little child to enter the kingdom of God, folks. And that's serious. If you're not willing to humble yourself, if you think you know it all, okay, if you think you can't be told nothing by anybody, remember, Balaam, the false prophet, was corrected by a donkey. <laughs> a donkey. <laughs> so we could all be corrected, folks. And the correction can come from anywhere, in any place. Or, in Balaam's situation, even an animal. Okay? So we need to... To cut all this stuff out here and 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 humble ourselves. All right. Um, the title of this Bible study today. I had a rough work week. I didn't really have time to really prepare, so this is going to be somewhat of a, like of an impromptu Bible study. But thank God I know the Bible enough to be able to to do impromptu Bible studies. But this is a subject matter that I know very well about the twelve tribes of Israel. And this, perhaps for some people that may be listening to me for the first time, I've never heard of this, may be, this may be a shock to you about what I'm going to talk about. But what I implore you to do is go to Yer Davidi's website, www.britam.org, and review his website while I'm speaking to you about the 12 tribes of Israel which is found in, there's a prophecy of the latter days, which uh, is in the days of the Messiah, when he's being ready to come back, the latter days, that talks about 12 individual tribes. And these tribes have a, have a great significance, more than you think, in these end times. Uh, as far as world news is concerned, uh, there's still activity I would say serious activity going on right now uh, in the Strait of Hormuz uh, in Iran. Uh, they're having war games. Iran's having war games. The United States is having war games. And I'm trying to explain this to you folks. Uh, if if something, some altercation occurs there, we are going to enter a different state in world history. So 40% of the world's oil supply is controlled there. And Iran is talking about closing the Strait of Hormuz if uh, the United States continues to do what they're doing. So th this could lead up to some serious mess, folks. And, you know, I must warn you, because I don't want your blood to be on my hand and, and uh, or body or whatever, you know. And uh, we're all responsible for any knowledge that we have, especially knowledge that can save people's lives. And so I do all I can. I don't have the money that Bill Gates has. If I did, I would try to reach as many people as possible. But I only can do what I can do. And what I can do is, is preach on Blog Talk Radio and allow the Holy Spirit of God to reach whoever he wants to reach with this message. I only have a reach of 2 billion people. So <laughs> there's no way little old me but my limited resources can reach 2 billion people, but God can do anything. So um, I'm one of his true servants, true teachers. You can prove that through what I say. 
and how I act on this program. And you can look up the scriptures. And my motto is this, uh, not Revelation, but James. I'm going to quote this scripture a lot because most people don't understand what true worship, which is religion, is about. James. I don't have to know Hebrew or Greek or whatever to understand this. James chapter 1, and you don't either. James chapter 1, verse 26. First of all, we have to learn how to control our mouths, folks. I mean, we, 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 we all have a tendency to use our tongues in the wrong way, to offend people. And we have to learn how to be humble, as I began this Bible study, and be like a little child and stop thinking you know everything. James chapter 1, verse 26. If anyone thinks he is religious or you know, worships God properly and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. So we got to learn how to you know, shut up and listen. Verse 27. Religion, a true worship that is pure, and under because that word religion, if you look it up in the original Greek, it means worship. So worship that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this colon, which means to continue the thought of the sentence. To visit orphans who what are orphans? People that are fatherless, don't have parents. and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself abstain, unstained from the world. So that's true worship, is to help people that are in need. And the orphans can be applied spiritually as well. If most people don't know the true God, they're fatherless. So there's many spiritual orphans throughout the world. And they are being afflicted. They are being cursed because they are breaking and don't even know it, the laws of God. Because they were not taught correctly. Hold your place here and let's turn to Jeremiah chapter 16. Jeremiah chapter 16, verse 19. O Lord, my strength and my stronghold, my refuge in the day of trouble, to you shall the nations come, from the ends of the earth and say, so this picture this, this is all the nations of the world coming to Jerusalem or Jerusalem, okay? And our fathers, which is our past generation of family, our fathers have inherited nothing but lies, worthless things, in which there is no profit. It's a book that I suggest you guys get that uh, I'm going to get tells you that in the past 100 years our educational system has been systematically designed to destroy the minds of children. The book is called The Deliberate Dumbing Down of America. Many people don't know this. But there has been a systematic agenda to get children to not be able to use their brains properly. I mean, this is this has been 
going on for the past 100 years. Um, there's an article on InfoWars I'm just going to read briefly. Uh, and I suggest you listen to this woman. She knows what she's talking about. Uh, she has a book that she wrote. It says, America on the Road to Total Destruction with author Charlotte Iserbite, I guess. On, it says January 7, 2012, the Alex Jones channel. You can Google this if you want, or you can go to his website, Infowars.com, and look for America on the Road to Total Destruction with Arthur Charlotte Iserbite, I guess, I-S-E-R-B-Y-T. January 7, 2012. On this Friday, January 6th edition of the Alex Jones Show, Alex talks with Charlotte, who served as a senior policy advisor of the Office of Educational Research and Improvement at the Department of Education. During the Reagan years, during her stint there, she blew the whistle. In other words, she revealed the truth, what they were hiding, because what did Christ say? Whatever's done in the dark should be shown in the light, right? She blew the whistle on a major technology initiative which would control curriculum in America's classrooms. She subsequently wrote and compiled the deliberate dumbing down of America, a chronological history of the past 100 plus years of education reform. This just backs up what I told you about how we need to humble ourselves. One of the reasons why we need to humble ourselves, folks, is that we've been deceived. We have inherited lies. Okay? And Ephesians 2, verse 20, tells you that the church or the assembly, the people who claim to believe in God, the foundation, their foundation should be the apostles, Apostles, which is the apostolic writings, and the prophetic writings, or the writings of the prophets, which most people don't seem to understand that Moses was a prophet. So the church is built on Moses, Jeremiah, Isaiah. And that's why I'm going to quote out of the what people call the Old Testament, which is really, I want to call it the Tanakh, the Scriptures. That's what it was understood to be back then, in the first century. And so don't get uh, upset when I quote out of these scriptures. Because Yeshua did, and the apostles did. Yeshua is Jesus' Hebrew name, for those who don't know. So, back to Jeremiah, which is part of the foundation of the assembly of believers. Our fathers have inherited nothing but lie. What is a lie? A lie is something that is not true. And here, God is speaking through the prophet Jeremiah to tell us that. And if you tremble at his words, which reminds me of another scripture, hold your place here in Jeremiah, Isaiah chapter 66. You don't tremble at his words, you're not taking him seriously. You're not a believer. Go someplace else. Isaiah chapter, and what I mean by go someplace else, go listen to some preacher that makes you feel good and lies to you. Anyway, Isaiah chapter 66, starting in verse 2. Well, actually, let's start in verse 1. Thus says the Lord, not me, but the Lord. Heaven is my throne. So whenever you think about the throne room of God, the throne is talking about heaven. Okay? 
Heaven is my throne and the earth is his footstool. In other words, think of this gigantic being and he's sitting on his throne and then his feet, the earth is resting on his feet. That's how great he is. That's the way you need to think of God. Okay? Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. That's where he lays his great foot on, the earth. What is the house that you were built for me and what is the place of my rest? In other words, he's so much bigger than the earth, so much more important than the earth. All these things my hand has made, and so all these things came to be, declares the Lord. But this is the one to whom I will look. This is the one he's going to pay attention to. And this is in light of what I quoted you in Matthew chapter 18. He who is humble and contrite in spirit and trembles, at my word, takes the word seriously. You better take that word seriously if you call yourself a believer in Jeremiah chapter 16. Let's go back there. Our fathers have inherited nothing but lies. Worthless things in which there is no profit. Christmas. There's no profit in it other than the profit that companies make every year. It's a deception. It's centered around a lie about a big fat man that goes down a chimney and gives gifts to children. And our brains are so blown up that we think it's cute. He doesn't think it's cute, and I don't think it's cute, and any other true believer doesn't think it's cute. Christmas. Is a deception, one of the greatest deceptions, if not the greatest deception, that Hasatan has created of all, of all time. Who are we going to believe? The devil or God? That is the question that each and every one of us need to answer for ourselves. I'm tired, and I know God is hard, more tired than I am, about the wickedness in this world. The stupidity and the downright just, I don't know, this dumbness. Like this woman wrote this book, The Dumbing of the World. Because if America is dumb, the rest of the world is pretty much dumb. Because we, you know, most people in the world follow America. Now, the Chinese are pretty smart. <laughs> they don't follow America and everything. You know, they, they, they come over here. They, they learn the subjects that many of us don't want to deal with today because we got our football games and we got our soap operas uh, that just talks about sin all day, basically, and, and, and uh, has uh, acting scenes of people sinning all day uh, during the afternoon. And then I think, you know, widows look at that and, and other people that can't work anymore, they're disabled, so they what they do with their time, basically, to look at that mess and blow their minds with that, uh, with sin. Uh, and then, of course, you have the... the uh, the American Idols, and you have uh, X Factor, which is wasn't at, at, as bad as American Idol, in my opinion. But uh, y people focus too much on that stuff, okay? And and too much entertainment, and a lot of the sitcoms and so forth. Two Men and all that. I forgot the name of the silly thing, and, and all these uh, Naked House, Housewives, or whatever. All these these things contribute to the dumbing of America. 
If you go to mojoboxoffice.com, matter of fact, I'm going to go there right now, you can tell what we focus on the most based on the money that we spend on on the movies, which is I think is a what fifty billion dollar industry, something like that. Uh, as far as uh, movies are concerned, people actually waste their money on filth and 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 looking at movies that will do nothing but blow your brain away. And what I mean by blow your brain away, uh, you don't have the ability to think properly. You know, your your eyes are attached to your brain for a reason. <laughs> and whatever you see, allow yourself to see, and your ears are attached to your, your, your brain for a reason as well. Whatever you allow your eyes to see and whatever you hear will and does affect you. Don't fool yourself. Don't deceive yourself. Now, here's the top movies. Mission Impossible. Got the cute girl in it. Like most of these movies, got handsome gentlemen in it, you know, Tom Cruise, and got them running around shooting people and all that, and a lot of destruction, right? Real great movie to listen to, uh, to look at, right? Sherlock Holmes, fantasy, same thing. Alvin and the Chipmunks, Alvin and the Chipmunks, the girl with the dragon tattoo, War Horse, We Bought a Zoo, okay, etc. The Darkest Hour. There's a few. I guess decent the Muppets. I don't know. I haven't looked at that, but you got to really work hard these days to look at a decent movie. And I think Mission Impossible is rated restricted, right? You know, which has got sex in it and um, all that. You know, so it's just and so far Americans have spent 132 million dollars on this movie. What if we spent that money on helping the people that are starving, as I'm speaking right now, with 47, I think it's almost 50 million people right now, that are on food stamps? What if we spent that money? Because this definitely isn't a need, is it? I mean, to, to go see a movie? I mean, is that really a need, folks? No. But you have other people out here starving that need jobs. We need to help them. We need to help them. That's what life is about, helping, as I was reading here, helping the afflicted, right? The widows aren't the only people that are poor. You know, that that is an example of someone, when, when biblically, when you think of somebody who's poor, you, you think of a widow, and you think of someone who's fatherless. But there's other people that, that have parents, that, and the parents don't treat them like they should, or they have forsaken them for the wrong reasons. They need help, too. They They have become fatherless. They're fatherless. When your father is alive and he cuts you off, that person's fatherless. So there's quite a few people out there in the world like that. We, we Folks, we are living really in a, in a very wicked world, okay? And even Paul said that in his day, in Galatians 1, verse 4. Let's turn at Galatians 1, verse 4. You know, God has blessed me to vent every week. And I know, just like he prophesied, anyone that follows the message of the prophets and, and, the, and the true messengers of God are not going to be really, it's like I try to explain to my wife, this is not a popularity contest. Um, I know that people are not going to listen to me uh, because I speak the truth. I speak the truth out of the, not too many people anyway, I speak the truth out of the scriptures. 
And people have a problem with the scriptures. They don't want to listen. I mean, this has been a problem since the days of Moses. Uh, even the Israelites, and even the modern Israelites of the day, don't, and I'm not just talking about the ones in the Middle East, they don't want to listen to the words of God. Galatians 1, verse 4. Like when I quote this scripture and say, well, that's not true. That means that that's not true. You know? And it is true. Galatians 1, verse 4. Uh, who gave himself for our sin to deliver us from this present evil age. Now, if Paul thought the world back then was evil, it certainly is evil today. And then in 1 John chapter 5. You know, I, I remember when I was young, very young, and my aunt, bless her soul, but she doesn't know any better, uh, she was trying to explain to me how peaceful the world is. And I was looking at her like, what is she talking about? As I'm, as I'm sitting down relaxing in my nice home that God has blessed my parents to have, there's people that are starving people that are dying, people that are getting murdered all around the world. How can she say that the world is peaceful? When you have peace, none of that is going on. It's like people's brains don't have the capacity to function properly because of sin, because of inheriting lies. And, And when you, for someone, anybody to think that the world is peaceful right now, they don't understand what the word peace means. Peace means to have all your needs taken care of. They have no problems and they not be worrying about anything. Can anyone today in today's society, no matter where you're at around the world, unless you're the President of the United States and you have uh, Secret Service agents ready to blow your brains out, uh, can you leave your car unlocked and open, you know, just out the blue, and trust that no one goes in there and steals it? Can you leave your door open? You know, we used to be able to do that 60, 70 years ago. We used to be able to leave our doors open. And trust that our neighbors will not go in and steal anything. We can't do that now. Folks, we won't have peace until we're able to do that. Be able to leave our doors open, trust people. You know, leave our car doors unlocked. Nobody's going to steal it. Okay? So let's be honest with ourselves. we got to stop deceiving ourselves and, and being in a winter wonderland of... Uh, or a Alice in Wonderland fairy tale. That's what the most United States citizens are living in. They're living in a fairy tale land. Okay, and we need to wake up, folks. First John five verse nineteen says, "We know that we are from God, and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one." Other translation states that the world lies in wickedness. What is this evil one doing, folks? What is this evil one doing? Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 2 and find out what he's doing. What he's doing to people's minds. Ephesians chapter 2. Starting in verse 1. And you were dead in your transgressions and sins, in which you once walked. These are people who have truly repented, 
who are trying to obey God, okay, in which you were once walked, now, once walked, this is the rest of the world and how they're walking, okay, found the course of this world. Who's the course of this world? Let's let's continue to, to, to listen and find out. Following the prince, it means he has some authority, right? The prince of the power of the air or atmosphere. The spirit that is now at work in the sons, both young and old, of disobedience. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. And were by nature the children of wrath. Like the rest of mankind. For if you aren't a believer, if you have not been immersed properly and received the power of God, the Holy Spirit, so that you can fight the devil and resist him so he'll flee from you, then you are following the prince of the power of the air. The course of this world. And his whole purpose is for you to carry out the desires of your mind, the fleshy desires, to focus on the things that aren't really important to God. That's his purpose, and he's very effective at deceiving you and, and, and thinking that that uh, those things are more important than God. And First John chapter two verse fifteen. I mean, these scriptures are just popping in my head back and forth. You know, I didn't prepare for this, but you know, God. Help me out here because he knows that, you know, I, unlike most so called ministers or preachers, I work and I follow the example of um, Shaul, which is his Hebrew name for Paul, and the rest of the apostles. They worked, Yeshua worked, as revealed in Matthew or Mark chapter 6, verses 1 to 2. He was a carpenter, and, and uh, anybody who claims to be a true preacher should be also working. How can you teach people to keep the Shabbat? The Shabbat commandment, part of the commandment, tells you to work six days a week. How can you teach people to keep the Shabbat when you don't keep it yourself? You're not working six days a week. It's like Yeshua said, my father's working. He works. He works six days a week. What makes us think that we shouldn't work six days a week? I mean, I don't know if you ever thought that before, but... But anyway, First John chapter two. Then you know, ministers they think that you know, reading all day and praying all day and writing all day is working. Well, not according to God, as far as religiously. Back in the first century, it was understood that a rabbi should have an occupation along with ministry or preaching and serving the people. So anyway, First John chapter 2, and of course you can prove without a shadow of a doubt that Paul worked. I mean, he talks about working with his hands. He talks about the apostles who did that as well in the apostolic scriptures. First John chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or the things in the world. Now, he's not telling you you shouldn't love the people. He's saying their activities, what they do. If anyone loves the world... The love of the Father is not in him. So if you love the evil wickedness of, of or the evil activities of most people in the world, then the love of the Father is not in you. You don't know how to love. 
What is love? It's, it's keeping the commandments, or fulfilling the commandments. Romans 13, verse 10 tells you that. Verse 16, for all that's in the world. Now, it, it describes you what it's talking about here. Not the people. You should love the people, but the activities, the evil desires of most of the people. Desires of the flesh, desires of the eyes, and the pride and possessions. Now, the desires of the flesh can be under pornography. It can be under um, drugs. Anything that makes you feel good, right? If it feels good, it must be right. That's what a lot of Americans believe today. Let me eat that ham. That ham tastes good. It makes me feel good. But what does God say about that? That we shouldn't eat pork. Found in Deuteronomy chapter 11 and Leviticus chapter 14. It's bad for us. Anyway, the desires of the eyes and the pride and present the desire of the eyes, television. We love to look at our movies, our television, our video games. Too much. And we look at the wrong things. Uh, we got video games of people having their heads blown off and kids laugh at it. <laughs> look at his head. <laughs> you know? And then the pride, and this is a guilty one here, the pride in my possessions. Look what I got. I got this car. I got this wife. I got this. I got that. You ain't nothing because I got everything. Well, what is what is Yeshua's state about that in Luke chapter 12? What does he say about that? Let's turn there. Luke chapter 12. One of my favorite parables. Luke chapter 12. Someone, Luke 12 verse 13, the parable of the rich fool. Okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 13. Now, understand, I'm not calling this person a fool. God is. I'm just reading what Yeshua stated here. Okay? Luke 12, verse 13. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. So this is about possessions. And, you know, life is not about what you got. Okay? Verse 14. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator? Over you. Verse 15. He said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Okay? This is from the master's mouth, so who you going to believe? And if you believe that your life is about what you got, then you don't have the love of the Father in you, according to 1 John 2, verse 15 and 17. Now, let's learn a lesson here, a parable. Verse 16, and if there's any rich people listening to this, I hope you learn this lesson. Because he did state that it's not impossible, but very difficult for you rich folks to enter the kingdom of God. Because you think, most of you, think that your life consists in the, uh, the abundance of the things you possess. Verse 16, and he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. 
as they tend to do in this world, particularly in this country. we got the most billionaires with a B in this country. Verse 17, he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. Or, if you want to interpret this today, my bank accounts. Or my silver or gold. Or my yachts. Or my mansions. Whatever. Verse 18. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And today you can interpret this. I'll have more bank accounts. More boats. I'll get more silver and gold. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Verse 19, 19 rather. And I will say to my soul, which means his life. Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, Fool! This night your soul is required of you, your life is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? Whose will they be? So he's picturing a rich person, got it made and having a good time, wah, wah, wah. Then all of a sudden, he's dead. And he's saying, this night, your life is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And in Matthew chapter 25, uh, it tells you that when you give to other people, you're really giving to God. So we got to be very careful not to have this rich attitude we need to have the attitude if you are rich or if you have any extra goods in 1st Timothy chapter 6 let's turn there 1st Timothy chapter 6 verse 17 we don't have this attitude in this country that's why we have the most inequality of any nation in the world today It explains how we can have the most billionaires, and yet we have 50 million people with an M that are on food stamps. How can that be? Well, the reason why it's so is because we're stingy. Most of us are stingy, especially the rich. They don't want to give to other people. I get this solicitation, and I haven't had a chance to speak to to the CEO of uh, this organization. Uh, uh, what is it, America, Feeding America? I think it is, yeah, Feeding America. But I need to speak to her, and hopefully I'll get a chance to do it, because she, they market to people like myself who have limited resources, and I give whatever I can to help people that as I'm speaking right now, don't have any food. I don't know if she's ever considered marketing to these rich folks, these billionaires that got money, that can help solve the problem. Uh, former presidential candidate uh, John Edwards stated that all we would need is $20 billion per year to solve poverty in this country. 
I don't have $20 billion. I just have $15 a month. Bill Gates, Warren Buffett, and all the rest of the billionaires got the money. I'm not telling. I'm not saying that Bill Gates and <laughs> Warren Buffett should be the ones that contribute $20 billion, uh, but all the billionaires and millionaires ought to get themselves together and develop an effective program to eliminate poverty for those who want to work. Now, of course, those who don't want to work, you shouldn't help them. If you don't want to work, you shouldn't eat, as Shaul uh, stated or Paul stated. But the majority of people that are poor folks do want to work, and they actually a lot of them do work. You have a classification of the working poor that have two or three jobs and still can't pay their bills. Those people deserve to be helped. There's many of those people in this country, millions of them. But she should have a comprehensive program to help these people and market to the people that have the money to give. And she should make them feel a little guilty. So I'm going to talk to her about this. Uh, I hope to. I hope to. I, I don't know if I'm going to get around to it, but be praying that I get around to it, write her a letter, and, and see what can be done because it's a really good program. And, and another another thing they need to improve is the quality of the food too because me and my wife participated in it and their, their food was not really good. It's like you get the leftovers. And they should have a program to provide organic, healthy food to these people. What good is it? You hear they're starving, you give them junk. I mean, sure, it gives them, helps them to sustain a little bit, but it doesn't nourish them like they should. And it'll cause them to get sick, and then they'll be in a hospital, and that's more money, you know, So and that's more problems. So I'm going to talk to her about it, and, and hopefully she'll listen. Hopefully she'll be humble. We'll see. Anyway, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. As for the rich in this present age, charge them or command them not to be haughty. Here we go again with the pride problem. Not to be haughty. A lot of rich people tend to be haughty. Nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, like the rich fool that I just read to you about, but on God. Your hope should be on God, even if you're rich who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in, not your investments, but in good works. So if you're blessed to be rich, you should help the afflicted, help the widows, help the fatherless, help those who are in need, help Torah teachers like myself who are out here preaching and not asking for money. And shouldn't have to, to people who are listening to him. And understand that they should give. But anyway, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. You should be ready to share. If you're rich, you should be like, man, yeah, I want to help out. That's the way Abraham was. That's why God blessed him with all the riches. He had servants. He had people that was glad to serve him because he was very generous. That's why he's called the father of the faithful on the earthly plane. He's a good example to follow. He's very hospitable. Invited people into his home. That's the way we need to be. Society's not like that, though. We all don't trust each other. We think somebody's going to do something. We just, We just don't trust one another. How can we when we hear stories of men 
taking little girls, chopping them up in pieces, and putting them in a garbage can. I mean, when you hear about those type of things, then you hear about this one story about this one woman, 18-year-old woman, had two guns, and someone was trying to break into a door. She called the police and said, hey, I got two men trying to break into my house, and I got a gun. Should I shoot? She said, well, I can't tell you what you need to do, but you got to do whatever you got to do to defend yourself. So the guy came in. She said she saw that he had a 12-inch knife, which is pretty large, by the way. And she, I guess she blew his brains out because she shot him and he died, so she must have shot him somewhere. She knew how to shoot, obviously. Must have been some marksman or something, you know, uh, markswoman. But uh, when you hear a story, I can tell you other stories. When you hear stuff like that, you've got to understand that there's something wrong with society, with this world. Okay, in verse 18, they are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. Should be ready. So rich people should do good. They should be rich in good works. They should be generous and ready to share. Thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future, so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. We should be building treasure in heaven, not on earth, folks. And we build treasure in heaven by giving to other people and sharing. That's what life is all about. That's what true worship is all about. And most ministers don't preach that. Most ministers preach a message to compel you to give money to them because they're not working a full-time job like they should be or part-time job, whatever, something outside of what they do as a ministry, or even operate a business, whatever. They should be doing something so that they could effectively teach that, yeah, you should keep the Shabbat, work six days a week and rest on the on the Shabbat. How can you effectively teach somebody to keep the Shabbat when you don't keep it yourself? What is it? Let's, let's read what it says, the commandment, Exodus chapter 20. Especially for these messianics that got fat bellies, they need to be listening to this. Ephesians chapter 20. Not to say that the fat belly is caused by not working a labor job. Uh, you could actually work a job and not have a labor job, and you just sit there all day and still don't exercise. But the point of the matter is, ministers or, or preachers, tour teachers should be working a regular job, whether it's part-time or full-time. Exodus chapter 20. Yeah, Exodus chapter 20 and Deuteronomy chapter 5 are the two cases in the entire Bible where all the commandments are listed. The Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. I'm going to read also the commandment in Deuteronomy chapter 5 so you can understand what the Shabbat commandment or Sabbath commandment is all about. Deuteronomy, I mean, I'm sorry, Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day. That's a prophecy because he knew people would forget it. <laughs> to keep it holy or set apart. Six days you shall labor. I don't see where that commandment uh, is an exception for Torah teachers. Do you? Hmm? Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Shabbat to the Lord your God. 
On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant or your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates or the stranger. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Shabbat and made it holy. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 5, there's another reason why. He wants us to rest. Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 12. Observe the Shabbat to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. So, again, part of keeping the Sabbath day or the Shabbat in Hebrew is working six days a week. Day A day is 12 hours, right? So uh, that means do all your little labor to make money and then all your other normal job uh, responsibilities you do during the day. Fourteen, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant, your even your animals should rest. should be a special day for them too. Or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who is within your gates that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Even doctors say you should rest one day a week, folks. And then where do we get, thank God, it's Friday from, huh? TGIF, right? Where do we get that? I tell you where we get it from. We get it from God because God put it in us to have to rest. Verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt. This is the other reason. We should remember that we were a slave. Egypt is a... uh, is a type of the world, folks. You should remember that you are a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there. And then apply that spiritually. If you are listening and understanding what I'm saying, he's taking you out of the the wickedness of the world, which is uh, typified of Egypt. With a mighty hand and outstretched, outstretched arm, therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Shabbat. In other words, he doesn't want you to be oppressed. He doesn't want you to suffer like that. And the Shabbat pictures the time when all of humanity won't be suffering anymore like that. And so it, it, it's a peaceful, peaceful um, dimension that we will enter into the whole world one day. During the Messianic Age, a thousand years, which is revealed in Revelation chapter 20. And then after the Messianic Era, when there's a new heaven and a new earth. It pictures that. So, folks, I just hope I explain to you the seriousness. And then in Revelation chapter 12, verse 9, and I'm going to quote another scripture here. I think I may have to do this maybe every week for those, because I know there's new people listening to me don't know what I'm talking about and so forth. So, But you need to understand where I'm coming from here. The, I'm coming from the the uh, fact that we've been deceived spiritually, biblically, and, and mentally about everything. And we need to repent. In all facets of life we've been uh, deceived. Revelation chapter 12 verse 9 states, And the great dragon was cast out, that ancient serpent, 
I have one person say, well, the Catholic Church is so old, older than any uh, church institution, then they must be right. Well, I guess the devil's right, too, right, because he's so old, too, right? But anyway, uh, verse 9, and the great dragon was thrown out, that ancient serpent, who was called the devil and Satan, the deceiver of the whole world. Okay, he's the deceiver or trickster of the whole world, folks. His purpose is to mislead you. And when you understand, um, and let's go to Hosea here. The 12 tribes of Israel, as I'm going to reveal to you today, uh, consists today of the United States, the Canada, uh, Canada, the countries of Northwestern Europe, New Zealand, South Africa, Australia, geographically, and of course the country in the Middle East, Israel, which is... Uh, consists of the tribe of Judah, Benjamin, and Levi. And you can find proof of this, biblically and secular, outside the Bible, through history, by going to the following website, www.beasamboyritam.org. It's Yair Davidi's website. I feel I need to give him plugs because uh, he's done a great work, and, and if you just read his material, you'll see and understand that what he's teaching is correct. So, we've got to understand what God prophesies about us today through the prophet Hosea. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. He's talking about us. Now, another thing that you need to understand that where is the Bible mostly distributed? <laughs> In the United States, Canada, and those other regions I told you about. They don't distribute Bibles in China. They have to hide. They have uh, hidden churches uh, underneath the ground, basically, or house churches in China. And please, in any Arab nation, you better not be found with a Bible. Hosea chapter 4, verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. For the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. Now, there is knowledge, but uh, I'm going to show you in Romans chapter 10 that we, we have our own brand of God that we want to, to create. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing. Lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. The murder also is in many abortions. I was looking at this horrifying video on YouTube showing how a woman aborts her baby. And at that time, I think it was in the 70s or 80s, there, there were 4,000 abortions done every day in this country. 4,000 murders. In most cases, they're murders. Uh, done every day. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed follows bloodshed. That's a good description of in the United States today. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and also the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, and even the fish of the sea are taken away. That's going to be happening soon. Yet let no one contend, and let none accuse, for with you is my contention, O priest, or, or you know, Torah teacher, someone is supposed to be able to teach the law of God to people. You shall stumble by day. The prophet also shall stumble with you by night, and I will destroy your mother. 
My people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that book that uh, I suggest you get, by written by that woman. Um, what's her name again? I mean, I call her that woman. Uh, Charlotte Isserbite, I-S-E-R-B-Y-T, is a proof of this. It says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. You know, back then it was referring to the priests. The priests and the Levites, they, they actually uh, not only taught them the truth of God, but a lot of them also had the ability to teach secular knowledge too. And since you have forgotten the law of God, I will also forget your children. And see, you don't want God to forget your children, folks, but he has. The more they increase and the, the more they sin against me, I will change their glory into shame. They feed on the sin of my people. They are greedy for their iniquity. And it should be like people, like priests. I will punish them for their ways and repay them for their deeds. They shall eat but not be satisfied. They shall play the whore but not multiply because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom or pornography today. Wine and new wine, which take away the understanding. So when you participate in sin, it takes away the ability for you to use your brain properly. That's what he's saying. The people inquire of a piece of wood, and their walking staff gives them oracles. For a spirit of whoredom has led them astray, and they have left their God to play the whore, both spiritually and physically. So, you know, this is just horrible. And he stays here in verse 16. Like a stubborn heifer, Israel is stubborn. Yes, we are. Can the Lord now feed them like a lamb in a broad pasture? Ephraim, and you understand Ephraim, Ephraim is referring to the ten tribes, which the United States is a part of, is joined to idols. Leave him alone. Like our American idol and all our other things that we think are more important than God. So, you know, it's just sad. The situation that we're in right now. The book of Hosea really addresses Ephraim, which in, in cases it can be talking about Britain, in other cases talking about the ten tribes. As proved in Ezekiel chapter 37 when it talks about getting the two sticks back together again, Judah and Ephraim. What is that noise? Oh. oh what is that noise? Oh, that's your phone. Okay. People on their cell phones. My, my wife has a cell phone too. Of all unique types of, uh, what do you call it, dial tones or whatever. Okay, uh, we've got 49 minutes left here. Um, let's go over the Torah readings here quickly, and then I'm going to reveal to you something you probably don't have not heard of before. Okay, the Heptor, uh, the Torah section today, uh, let me go there here, uh, the Parsha. Courtesy of Habad.org. Matter of fact, you should go there and listen up on their uh, teachings there and read it. Habad, C H A B A D.org. Genesis chapter 47, 28 to Genesis 50, verse 26. Uh, Jacob lives the final 17 years of his life in Egypt. Before his passing, he asked Joseph to take an oath that he will bury him in the Holy Land. He blesses Joseph's two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim elevating them to the status of his own sons as, as, um, as progenitors of tribes within the nation of Israel. And, you know, many people can't make up their mind. Manasseh in the United States and Ephraim is Britain. Uh, they're brothers, and 
what you need to understand is that there would be no United States without Britain. Okay, so they they're they're hooked with each other. The patriarch desires to reveal the end of days to his children, but is prevented from doing so. Jacob blesses his sons, assigning to each I don't understand that, but he did reveal the end of days to his children, so I don't know what they're talking about there. So, you know, at t- in times when I read stuff like this, and if there's errors, I'll let you know. <laughs> so he did reveal the, the latter time for each of the tribes. As I'm, I'm going to read an audio version of that so you'll understand. Uh, not read, but play an audio version of Genesis chapter 49. And I want you to pay attention to it. It's very significant. But anyway, the patriarch desires to reveal the end of days to his children. He did. Had to correct that there. Jacob blesses his sons, assigning to each his role as a tribe. Judah will produce leaders. Legislators and kings, priests will come from Levi, scholars from Issachar, seafarers from Zebulun, school teachers from Simeon, soldiers from Gad, judges from Dan, uh, olive growers from Asher, and so on. Reuben is rebuked for confusing his father's marriage bed. Simeon and Levi from the massacre of Shechem and the plot against Joseph. Naphtali is granted the swiftness of a deer, Benjamin the ferociousness of a wolf, and Joseph is blessed with beauty and fertility. Well, he's blessed with a lot more than that, and we're going to get into that in a minute here. But a large funeral procession consisting of Jacob's descendants, Pharaoh's ministers, and the leading citizens of Egypt and the Egyptian cavalry accompanies Jacob on his final journey to the Holy Land, where he is buried in Mount Pelah Cave in Hebron. Joseph, too, dies in Egypt at the age of 110. So he lived in a nice, ripe age. He, too, instructs that his bones be taken out of Egypt and buried in the Holy Land, but this would come to pass only with the Israelites. Exodus from Egypt many years later. Before his passing, Joseph conveys to the children of Israel the testament from which they will draw their hope and faith in the difficult years to come. God will surely remember you and bring you up out of this land to the land of which he swore to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I wanted to show you guys another scripture. And Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3, Ezekiel chapter 3. And this, this this was addressed to Ezekiel, but it's also addressed to anybody who's preaching the message of the prophets. So it applies to me and other people that are like me, which unfortunately is not enough, not too many. Ezekiel chapter 3, verse 1, he said to me, Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. Remember when Yeshua in, in John chapter 6 stated that you will eat my flesh and drink my blood? What he's not he's not talking about literally eating eating him. He's saying that you need to eat his words. Just like you eat food. Man should not live by bread alone, right? Matthew four verse four, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what he was commanding Ezekiel to do. And that's what he commands us to do. Remember, Ezekiel is part of the foundation of the assembly, as proved in Ephesians two, verse twenty. Son of man, eat whatever you find here. Eat this scroll and go and speak to the house of Israel. So I opened my mouth, and he gave me this scroll to eat. And he said to me, Son of man, feed your belly with this scroll. 
that I give you and fill your stomach with it. Then I ate and it was in my mouth as sweet as honey, similar to the the in Revelation chapter 10 when he talks about John eating the scroll. Remember, to understand the book of Revelation, Ezekiel, you must study the book of Ezekiel. Okay, to understand the book of Revelation and also Daniel. The book of Revelation is linked with those two books. Verse 4, And he said to me, Son of man, go to the house of Israel and speak with my words to them. For you are not sent to a people of a foreign speech and a hard language, but to the house of Israel. Not to many peoples of foreign speech and a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. So he, you know what he's saying? He's saying if he went to the Chinese, if he went to uh, even the Arabs, and if he went to to the Russians and so forth, they would understand. But, you know, we're so stiff-necked, as we're about to find out here. We think we know it all. We're not humble. We're not following. We're not trying to act like little children in most cases. Ezekiel 3, verse 6. Not too many people of foreign speech in a hard language whose words you cannot understand. Surely if I sent you to such, they would listen to you. But the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you, for they are not willing to listen to me. Because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. This is what God says we are, folks. Remember, he pays attention to people who tremble. Tremble at his word. Are you trembling at what I'm telling you here? He states that the house of Israel will not be willing to listen to you or anyone that's preaching this message. Okay? For they are not willing to listen to me because all the house of Israel have a hard forehead. You know what a hard forehead is? You know what I picture in my mind? You have a baseball bat and you hit that person across the head and the baseball bat breaks. That's how hard our heads are when it comes to God, folks. We don't want to listen to him. And a stubborn heart or mind. That is the characteristic of many Americans today and many Britons and many uh, Europeans in, in Northwestern Europe, the British Isles and so forth, and Australians and New Zealands, South Africans, and Israelis in the Middle East. We have a hard forehead and a stubborn heart. Behold, I have made your face as hard as their faces, and your forehead as hard as their foreheads. Like emery harder than flint have I made your forehead. Fear them not, nor be dismayed at their looks, for they are a rebellious house. Rebellious house. Don't want to do what they're told. Moreover, he said to them, Son of man, all my words that I shall speak to you, receive in your heart and hear with your ears. And go to the exiles, to your people, and speak to them, and say to them, Thus says the Lord, God, whether they hear or refuse to hear. So anybody that is preaching the message of the prophets like me, I'm supposed to go and preach like I'm doing on blog talk radio, whether you're going to hear or not. And then when you understand this, in most cases, people don't want to hear. Because in Isaiah 59, people don't love the truth. The prophet Isaiah, God prophesied that people would hate the truth. They don't want to know the truth. Despite the fact that another prophet, Jeremiah, said that we have all inherited life. Most of us, with the exception of Yeshua, Jeremiah, and uh, John the Baptist, because they were all born from the womb with the Holy Spirit, the rest of us have been born blind, spiritually blind. Do you realize that? 
Only three people in the world have, have not been born blind. The rest have 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 been. We all have been born blind, spiritually blind. We've been born not knowing the full truth. And then we spend our lives when God calls us. We spend our lives unlearning our error when He calls us to the truth. And so, you know, that that's the situation there with Ezekiel, and you read the rest of this, uh, it was a specific mission that he had. And I know some people say, hey, this is directly something I need to do today. No, you just preach it. You, know, you just preach it. You just preach it. And he just prophesied that, uh, let me see. Well, let me just read this to you. This definitely does apply to me and anyone else. Verse 16, and at the end of seven days, not that, but the word the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. We all can be watchmen. So we all have a responsibility to warn people if we have knowledge to, to save people. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning for me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die. And you give them no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life. That wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. <laughs> See, if you know something and you don't warn people, then God's going to require that uh, from you. But if you warn the wicked and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood will I require at your hand. But if you warn the righteous not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. So this is a, a mission of saving souls, folks. That's what I'm trying to do. Okay? If you are listening to me, then God is calling you to truth. Okay? He wants to save you. He wants to save everybody. And he's using me and other people around the world, because they're scattered the true servants of God, to reach as many people as they can. All I can do is preach on Blog Talk Radio and depend on the miraculous power of God to reach whoever he wants to reach. I only can reach two billion people. And, you know, I don't have the money to target two. Even if I had the money to, to, to reach as many people, there's no guarantee that two billion people will want to be interested in listening to this. <laughs> only God can miraculously make people listen to what I'm saying. Two billion people. Okay, so, but I'm doing. I'm planting the seed. He has to give the increase. Only God gives the increase of anything that you do. But anyway, that is the situation with Ezekiel and anyone that preaches the the, the message of Ezekiel. That is the instruction that he's giving you as well. So I'm trying to find also what he talks about. Um, yeah, right here. And Isaiah, uh, I mean, Ezekiel chapter 33, verse 17. And this, you know, many people say this today about 
God himself. He says, yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. When the righteous turns from his righteousness and does injustice, he shall die for it. And when the wicked turns from his wickedness and does what is just and right, he shall live by this. Yet you say the way of the Lord is not just. O house of Israel, I will judge each of you according to his ways. And that is the fair way of judging. And then Ezekiel 33, verse 30 says, as for you, son of man, your people who talk to, together about you by the walls and at the doors of the houses say to one another, each his brother, come and hear what the word is that comes from the Lord. And they come to you as people come, and they sit before you as my people, and they hear what you say, but they will not do it. And I can understand what Ezekiel went to because I, I experienced the same thing. I, On occasion, and, and, and I was recently invited to a congregation and sat and talked to the congregational leader. He listened to me, but he didn't want to obey, didn't want to believe what I was telling him. You know, so I understand exactly what Ezekiel went through here. It says, For with lustful talk in their mouths they act, and their heart is set on their gain, set on what they want, or what they want to get. And behold, you are to them like one who sings lustful songs with a beautiful voice and plays well on an instrument. For they hear what you say, but they will not do it. When this comes, and come it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. And, you know, I'm not calling myself a prophet, but when I speak to people, they'll know that I preach to them properly the prophetic words of the Bible. Okay? And I know that's going to happen if it hasn't happened already when when these things happen. And it says, when this comes, and it will, then they will know that a prophet has been among them. See, as far as all the things that he said would occur. So, that's that. Now, let's go back to yeah, of the Hattori uh, section here. First Kings chapter 2, <clears throat> verses 1 to 12. <clears throat> In this week's Haftor, King David delivers his deathbed message to his son and successor, Solomon, echoing the week's Torah reading that discusses at length Jacob's parting words and instructions to his sons. King David encourages Solomon to be strong and to remain steadfast in his belief in God. This will ensure his success in all his endeavors, as well as the continuation of the Davidic dynasty. David then goes on to give his son some tactical instructions for pertaining to various people who deserve punishment or reward for their actions during his reign. The Torah concludes with David's death and his burial in the city of David. King Solomon takes his father's place, and his sovereignty is firmly established. And let's read briefly a little bit. Let me check something here first. And then we're going to briefly read that. Yeah, and that is saying that when when the people don't listen, then they'll know that there there's there there was, uh, in my case, a prophetic someone who understood the scriptures, were among them. But in Ezekiel's case, of course, him literally being a prophet, when this happens, and it, it happens to me a lot. <laughs> my wife can attest to it, and my son. I mean, we, we go and visit people, and 
we, we, we give them the words of God, they don't want to listen. They don't want to listen. Anyway, um, 1 Kings. I'm going to read this because it's significant because many people confuse the law of Moses. They think the law of Moses is not the law of God, and it is. And this is one of the scriptures that proves it. 1 Kings chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. When David's time to die drew near, he commanded Solomon, his son, saying, I am about to go the way of all the earth. Be strong and show yourself a man. So young men and old men and in-between men, listen to this. This is how you become a man. This is what makes you a man. Okay, Be strong and show yourself a man. Now, I would pay attention to this because David was a man after God's own mind or heart. So I think he knows what a man should be, right? Be strong and show yourself a man, and, and this is how you show yourself a man. Keep the charge of the Lord your God, walking in his ways and keeping his statutes, his commandments, his rules, and his testimonies as is written in the law of Moses. So if anyone wants to know what's in the law of Moses, you have a scripture right here telling you what's in the law of Moses. Let's go over again in 1 Kings 2, verse 3. Statutes, commandments, rules, testimonies, all in the law of Moses, which is the law of God. The reason why it's called the law of Moses, because God used Moses to give the law to Israel and later through Israel to the entire world. That is the plan. Hold your place here and turn to Ecclesiastes, if you don't believe that statement. Ecclesiastes, verse 13, written by Solomon, who, Ezekiel, chapter, not Ezekiel, Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, Ecclesiastes, chapter 12, verse 13, the last chapter to help you in Ecclesiastes, written by Solomon who is talked about here in the Hattorah section. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, 13, no, 12, rather, no, 13. Ecclesiastes chapter 12, verse 13. Here's the end of the matter. All has been heard. This whole book is about the pleasures of life. I, You know, Solomon was the richest man. He had everything. He had wives. He had this. He had that. He had everything. And this is his conclusion. The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man, not just the Jews. For all of mankind is to keep his commandments for those who think that Christ came so that we don't have to keep the law anymore. You don't know what you're talking about. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. And why? Because God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing. There's no secret thing to God. For those who, who do all kinds of things, you act like just like Jeffrey Dahmer, one of the uh, worst serial killers of all time. He was well thought of in his community at work, but they didn't know that he had heads chopped off in his refrigerator, and they didn't know that he had all kinds of abominations in, in his house. Those are secret things. 
those type of secret things will be uh, judged, whether they're good or evil. That's why we must keep the law, folks. Just like I was talking to my friend Phil the other night. Said we, you know, people understand that we have laws in this country, right? We have so many laws, more more so than God has in, in, in the Bible. And we respect those laws, right? We keep those laws, right? Or supposedly we do, right? And we respect those. But we have a problem with the commandments of God. You know, there's uh, traditionally there's 613. But we have thousands and thousands of laws just on the state alone. If you look at, like I live in Ohio, you look at the Ohio State Code, there's so many laws. How can you retain or keep or understand all those laws? But we respect those laws, but we don't respect God's laws. How dare we act that way? And then here's a scripture that you not, you cannot argue with. You know, uh, Hebrews chapter 9. I'm going to quote this scripture to I die. Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9. Because I don't think too many people realize that this scripture exists in the Bible. I don't hear it preached. And Hebrews chapter 9, verse 13. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of heifers sanctify the purification of the flesh, so that means that all the sacrifices and the offering was just to purify the flesh so you can enter into the presence of, of God. Okay? Verse 14. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience, our minds from dead works to serve the living God? When people say that we're under grace, there's no works involved, they don't know what the crap they're talking about. And I have to say crap because it's, it's definitely justifiable in this context. They don't understand what they're talking about. Because one of the purposes of, of the Messiah, one of the major reasons why he sacrificed himself, so that we could purge our conscience, our minds, from dead works, so that we can serve the living God. How do you serve somebody? You do something, right? We have to do something. His death, brought the Holy Spirit to us so that we can repent and cleanse our minds of wickedness so that we can serve the living God and do righteous works. Most of you have been taught incorrectly that the death of Christ uh, that wiped away the death penalty, and that's true, it wiped away the death penalty, the death penalty of us all not deserving to live again. It did wipe that out. But it didn't wipe out all of our future sins if we don't repent of them. It didn't wipe out the obligation to obey the law of God. Because why does it say to purge our conscience from dead works? That means works that are against the law of God. To serve the living God. The antithesis of, or the opposite of dead works is alive works. Works that are going to bring life to us. I know this truth has not been preached to you. But it's high time that it starts being preached to you that the Messiah, sure, he died to wipe away the death penalty from us, but he also died to help us obey God, to give us the power that we need to obey God, which is interpreted here as 
purifying our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's the scripture you need to study, folks. It's in the Bible. In, and I'm so glad it is for those who think the Old Testament is toilet paper, uh, in the New Testament. <laughs> Hebrews 9, verses 13 to 14. <clears throat> study that scripture. So, let's get into this Israel thing here uh, in the final 23 minutes that I have. And I'm going to play the audio version of, uh, and please listen to it, uh, the audio version of this, courtesy of, if I can find it here, uh, Bible.is. It's by Faith Comes by Hearing. This, this organization has done such a great job of providing the Bible online for you to listen to. If you have iPhones, you can download the mobile application and listen to this at your leisure. There's really no excuse today, folks, for not having access to the Bible. If you can hear and if you can read, well, even if you're blind, if you have the capability of listening, there's no excuse for you either. So um, this is a great tool. It's a great tool. So let me turn to Genesis chapter 49 here, and I want you to listen to Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, prophesy to all the tribes. And what version is this in? I want this in the King James Version. Let's see. Here we go. That's better. Genesis chapter 49. Okay, let me go ahead and play this. And I'll be back with you after, what, six minutes. Six minutes and 51 seconds. Apologize for that. 
Let me put it on speakerphone, and let's do it again. Genesis chapter 49. And Jacob called unto his sons and said, Gather yourselves together, that I may tell you that which shall befall you in the last days. Gather yourselves together and hear, ye sons of Jacob, and hearken unto Israel your father. Reuben, thou art my firstborn, my might, and the beginning of my strength, the excellency of dignity and the excellency of power. Unstable as water, thou shalt not excel, because thou wentest up to thy father's bed, then defiledst thou it. He went up to my couch. Simeon and Levi are brethren. Instruments of cruelty are in their habitations. O my soul, come not thou into their secret, unto their assembly. Mine honor be not thou united, for in their anger they slew a man, and in their self-will they dig down a wall. Cursed be their anger, for it was fierce, and their wrath, for it was cruel. I will divide them in Jacob and scatter them in Israel. Judah, thou art he whom thy brethren shall praise. Thy hand shall be the neck of thine enemies. Thy father's children shall bow down before thee. Judah is a lion's whelp. From the prey, my son, thou art gone up. He stooped down, he couched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? The scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet, until Shiloh come, and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. Binding his bowl unto the vine, and his ass's colt unto the choice vine, he washed his garments in wine, and his clothes in the blood of grapes. His eyes shall be red with wine, and his teeth white with milk. Zebulun shall dwell at the haven of the sea, and he shall be for a haven of ships, and his border shall be unto Zidon. Nithakar is a strong ass couching down between two burdens. And he saw that rest was good, and the land that it was pleasant, and bowed his shoulder to bear, and became a servant unto tribute. Dan shall judge his people as one of the tribes of Israel. Dan shall be a serpent by the way, an adder in the path, that biteth the horse's heels, so that his rider shall fall backward. I have waited for thy salvation, O Lord. Gad, a troop shall overcome him, 
but he shall overcome at the last. Out of Asher his bread shall be fat, and he shall yield royal dainties. Naphtali is a hind let loose, he giveth goodly words. Joseph is a fruitful bough, even a fruitful bough by a well, whose branches run over the wall. The archers have sorely grieved him, and shot at him, and hated him. But his bow abode in strength, and the arms of his hands were made strong by the hands of the mighty God of Jacob. From thence is the shepherd, the stone of Israel. Even by the God of thy father, who shall help thee, and by the Almighty, who shall bless thee with blessings of heaven above, blessings of the deep that lieth under, blessings of the breasts and of the womb. The blessings of thy father have prevailed above the blessings of my progenitors unto the utmost bound of the everlasting hills. They shall be on the head of Joseph, and on the crown of the head of him that was separate from his brethren. Benjamin shall raven as a wolf. In the morning he shall devour the prey, and at night he shall divide the spoil. All these are the twelve tribes of Israel. And this is it that their father spake unto them, and blessed them. Every one according to his blessing he blessed them. And he charged them, and said unto them, I am to be gathered unto my people. Bury me with my fathers in a cave that is in the field of Ephron the Hittite, in the cave that is in the field of Machpelah, which is before Mamre, in the land of Canaan, which Abraham bought with the field of Ephron the Hittite for a possession of a burying place. There they buried Abraham and Sarah, his wife. There they buried Isaac and Rebekah, his wife. And there I buried Leah. The purchase of the field and of the cave that is therein was and when Jacob had made an end of commanding his sons, he gathered up his feet into the bed and yielded up the ghost and was gathered unto his people. Okay, that's a little dramatic version of that. Um, to me, is one of the most significant prophecies in the entire Bible because he prophesied about the 12 tribes of Israel. And you notice he talked about Judah, that Judah's the lawgiver, and Shiloh come, that's a, the name for the Messiah. We know that the Messiah is a Jew. And there will be 12 Jews underneath him ruling over each of the 12 tribes of Israel. Um, let me turn to that scripture here. I think it's in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19. 
starting in verse 27. Then Peter said in reply, See, we have left everything and followed you. What then will we have? And then Matthew 19, verse 28 states, Jesus said to them, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on, the, on his glorious throne, you, will have followed, you who have followed me, and he's talking about the twelve that followed him at that time, will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, for those who weren't fortunate and blessed enough to be with him at that time, he tells the following in verse 29, And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or lands for my sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last, and the last shall be first. And what that means is this. If you were rich and you didn't care about anybody but yourself, basically, you will be last. For those who are poor, suffering with diseases, having all kinds of problems, and you do the best you can, then you will be first. Remember, the humble shall be exalted. All right. So I'm reading a little bit from this book, uh, Mir Davides, the tribes of the Israel, uh, the tribes. He has a new edition of this book. And I suggest you get this book. You don't have to, though. You can just go to his website. He has everything on there, basically. Well, not not everything, but a lot of material. And I'm just reading on the front cover of this book, uh, the third edition. I think he has a fourth edition out now. It says, The Tribes, the Israelite Origins of Western Peoples. For Ephraim, he has Britain and company. Now, in certain contexts of Scripture, Ephraim can refer also to the ten tribes of Israel, which is uh, revealed in Ezekiel chapter 37. Manasseh. The United States. Reuben is France. Simeon is the Celts and the Jews. Levi with the Jews. Yehuda or Judah. The Jutes and Jews. Issachar, Swiss and the Finns. Zebulun, the Netherlands. Gad, Gauss and Sweden. Asher, the Scots. Benjamin, Belgium and Normans. Dan, the Dan and the Celts. Naphtali, Norwegians. So that today is the modern identification of what <clears throat> the the um, prophet Jacob or Israel stated. And then on the back of this book, it says the tribes, the Israelite origins of Western people, the tribes proves that most of the ancient Israelites were exiled and lost their identity. They eventually migrated to Western Europe where they formed distinct nationalities. Their, their descendants populated North America, Australia, New Zealand, and South Africa. And the tribes, specific Israelite tribes and tribal claims are traced to present-day ethnic groups. Proof is provided from the Bible, rabbinical sources, history, archaeology, mythology, and linguistics. National symbols and ethnic characteristics are also analyzed. The tribes proves this case with irrefutable evidence and adequately referenced with academically acceptable sources. This could be, and I believe it is, one of the most important works of our times. The author, Yara Davidi, is an Australian-born scholar living in Israel. The tribes includes a rabbinical approbation and afford from Rabbi Abraham Feld of Maccabee Institute, Jews in Israel. Now, you know the Maccabees were the people that uh, were able to cleanse the temple back in the time of Antiochus Epiphanes, which pictures Hanukkah. And when uh, you understand that story, um, Antiochus Epiphanes uh, did not allow Jews to be circumcised, keep the Sabbath, and, and do other things that they were supposed to do. 
So it's kind of a type of the Great Tribulation. For those who don't understand that, I suggest you listen to the audio program that I created, I think about two or three weeks ago, on Hanukkah, the Feast of Dedication. Okay, so that's the 12 tribes of Israel, folks. And then um, Revelation chapter 7 talks about a future time where they will be regathered. And and, uh, that's interesting. We can actually listen to an audio version of that. Revelation chapter 7. Let me see if I can turn there here. Okay, this will be for 3 minutes and 38 seconds. Revelation 7. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. And I heard the number of them which were sealed. And there were sealed an hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. Of the tribe of Judah were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Reuben were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Gad were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Aser were sealed twelve thousand. Of the tribe of Nephthalim were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Manassas were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Simeon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Levi were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Issachar were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Zabulon were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Joseph were sealed 12,000. Of the tribe of Benjamin were sealed 12,000. All right, so you see that in the 21st century, because I can't see it going to the 22nd century, (laughs) um, in the end times, um, God is going to protect 12,000 of each tribe. All right, so that's going to happen in the end times. That's there's all kinds of theories and people trying to figure out certain things about this, but it means exactly what it's saying, folks. Uh, 12,000 will be protected from the horrendous activities going on during the Great Tribulation, and they will be sealed and protected. Okay, so um, the significance of Israel as well, uh, when, you, when you look at the, um, the book of Revelation, if we want to turn to, how much time do we have left here? Uh, four minutes, and we want to turn to Revelation chapter 12. I, I did show you that Yeshua, of course, the Messiah is going to be ruling, and then the uh, apostles will be ruling underneath him, under the 12 tribes. And then in Revelation chapter 12, I mean chapter 21, rather,
I'll just read. Uh, matter of fact, let me see if I can read the audio version of this as well. Let me see. They kind of like it. It sounds good. Revelation chapter uh, 21 here. I don't have that much time to read it. Oh, well. I'll just go ahead and, I mean, I'll do the audio version. I'll just go ahead and read it. Revelation chapter 21, verse 9. Then came one of the seven angels who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, spoke to me, saying, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. <clears throat> and that's referring to the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city, Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So heaven, again, is a literal place in another dimension where God lives and dwells, where his throne is located, and is coming out of this dimension into the earth. Uh, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with 12 gates, and at the gates 12 angels, and on the gates the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. So that tells you how important God feels the 12 tribes of Israel are, for them to be inscribed uh, like that uh, on the gates. On the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and on the west three gates. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Remember, the 12 apostles will be ruling over each tribe of Israel. So that's how important God looks at the tribes of Israel. Because the tribes of Israel's responsibility, as outlined in Isaiah chapter 60 and 61, is to preach to the rest of the world the true message of God. Remember, Messiah is king of Israel. Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So, again, the, the message of the gospel is a, is a, is a message of uh, freedom from sin, freedom from being cursed, freedom from oppression. And he's talking about here the nation of Israel here. In verse 5 of Isaiah 61, Strangers shall stand and tend your flocks, foreigners shall be your plowmen and vine dressers, but you shall be called the priests of the Lord. They shall speak of you as the ministers of our God. You shall eat the wealth of the nations, and in their glory you shall boast. Instead of your shame, there shall be a double portion. Instead of dishonor, they shall rejoice in their lot. Therefore, in their land, they shall possess a double portion. They shall have everlasting joy. Okay, and that's going to be the responsibility of the nations of Israel is to preach the truth to the world, to be priests to all the rest of the nations. And then in Zechariah chapter 8, Zechariah chapter 8, Verse 20, thus says the Lord of hosts, people shall yet come, even the inhabitants of many cities, the inhabitants of one city shall go to another, saying, let us go at once to entreat the favor of the Lord and to seek the Lord of hosts. I myself am coming, am going. Many peoples and strong nations shall come to seek the Lord of hosts in Jerusalem and to entreat the favor of the Lord. Thus the Lord... Thus says the Lord of hosts, in those days ten men from the nations of every tongue shall take the whole the robe of a Jew, saying, Let us go with you, for we have heard that God is with you. So everyone will be drawn 
as the prophecies indicate, to Jerusalem where all the 12 tribes would be relocated, where they're supposed to be at, as prophesied in Ezekiel chapter 37. So may God protect you and bless you, and God willing, I'll be available to you next week, and I'm going to go over what happens to us after we die. Malachi chapter 4 For behold, the day cometh that shall burn as an oven, and all the proud, yea, and all that do wickedly shall be stubble. And the day that cometh shall burn them up, saith the Lord of hosts, that it shall leave them neither root nor branch. But unto you that fear my name shall the Son of Righteousness arise with healing in his wings, and ye shall go forth and grow up as calves of the stall. And ye shall tread down the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet in the day that I shall do this, saith the Lord of hosts. Remember ye the law of Moses my servant, which I commanded unto him in Horeb for all Israel, with the statutes and judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he shall turn the heart of the fathers to the children, and the heart of the children to their fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. 